All right, well, our scripture passage for this morning is found in the book of 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, and then verses 16 through 19. It's a little bit longer than what we're used to reading, but it's really, really good stuff. So let's dive into God's good word together this morning. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. For God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. So we have known and believe the love that God has for us. God is love and those who abide in love abide in God and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Amen. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Praise God. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. Happy fall, (laughs) y'all. My name is John Vick. I'm the campus pastor at One Church. Uh, One Church is the church within a church here at Acts 2. Uh, We actually meet in the other building. We call it the chapel on Friday nights at 6.30. And I'm just delighted to be able to dive into this passage of Scripture with you all this morning and get to share these words with you. Uh, So I want to start off this morning by asking this. If someone were to ask you, what is Christianity all about? What would you say? What kind of answer, what kind of response would you give to that question? What is Christianity all about? Well, this morning we're going to be looking at that question and and seeing what 1 John has to say about that question. And we're also going to be talking about different practical ways that we can live out our faith day to day. Uh, So the passage we just read from, it's actually from one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture, uh, 1 John chapter 4. And, And I like that chapter so much because I think it really gets to the heart of what Christianity is all about. It talks about who God is and who we are. And what we are to do as the people of Jesus. And, and really the entire book or the entire letter of 1 John is like that. It, it, really the entire book really gets to the heart of what Christianity is all about. This is what John Wesley, the, the founder of Methodism, had to say about the book of 1 John. How plain, how full, how deep a compendium of genuine Christianity. Uh, now if I'm being completely honest, I wasn't originally going to include that quote in the sermon. But I just really wanted to say compendium and sound really smart. So, uh, but, but really, that's what 1 John is all about. You know, it really gets to the heart of, of what Christianity is all about. So there's four different ideas I want to lift up from this text this morning. The first one is this. God is love. God is love. Let's just say these words together. God is love. 
I think those are three of the most beautiful words ever put together. And, and when the Apostle John, whenever he was writing the letter of 1 John, he could have used any words imaginable to describe God. I mean, John, he was one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus. He had seen firsthand Jesus do these signs, these wonders, these miracles. He had encountered Jesus. And, and after Jesus' resurrection, John would go on to become a bishop, and he would start churches, and he would make disciples. And everywhere he went, he spread the good news of Jesus. I mean, John had this full, this abundant life in Jesus, to say the very least. He had a deep experience of God. He had seen God work in so many different ways. He, he had seen God use him in, in mighty, mighty ways. John had this deep, this close, this personal relationship with God. And here in 1 John chapter 4, John chooses the word love to describe God. John could have used the word powerful, for John had seen firsthand the dead raised by the power of God. But John chose the word love to describe God here in this chapter. John could have used the word wise, for he had heard Jesus' own words with his very own, weir, uh, his very own ears. But, but John chose the word love to describe God here in this passage. And, and so that understanding of, of who God is, how God is love, that is essential to our understanding of who Christ is. Right, that, that God is love, and that phrase is actually repeated twice in our passage in 1 John chapter 4. A.W. Tozer, he was this 20th century theologian, and he actually said that love is one of God's essential attributes, meaning that love is something that is essential in our understanding, again, of, of who God is and what God's heart is like. And, and so all that we know about God, all of God's other revealed attributes, help us know more and more about God's love. This is what Tozer writes in his book, Knowledge of the Holy. He says, we can know, for instance, that because God is self-existent, his love had no beginning. Because God is eternal, his love can have no end. Because God is infinite, it has no limit. Because God is holy, it is the quintessence of all spotless purity. Because God is immense, his love is an incomprehensibly vast, bottomless, shoreless sea before which we kneel in joyful silence and from which the loftiest eloquence retreats confused and abashed. God is love. God is love. And because God is love, we can be confident that love comes from God. There is this pure, this perfect, eternal love that flows from God and, and flows from God's throne of grace. And, and so whenever we see traces of love in this world, we can point that back to God. Because love comes from God, and, and so every single week whenever we come here on Sunday mornings and, and we feel loved, we feel part of this beloved community, that comes from God. Because love comes from God, and, and that is so foundational to our understanding of Christianity, what, what Christianity is all about, that, that God is love, and love comes from God. Let's move on to the second idea. The second idea is this, God's love has been revealed. God's love has been revealed. And in other words, God's love isn't hidden or secret or disclosed. Rather, God's love can be seen in so many different ways. In fact, just this morning, I was reading from Psalm 33, and, and in that chapter, we read, the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? The world that God created is filled with God's love. So in so many different ways, we can see God's love, but most perfectly, we can see the love of God in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. 
This is what we read in 1 John 4 earlier. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So not only is God love, God also shows his deep love for us in so many different ways, but, but again, most perfectly in the person of Jesus. You know, last week we just finished out our uh, sermon series called Making Sense of the Bible, and it was a, a very fun sermon series to do. It was challenging at points, but, but in that sermon series we looked at some of the biggest questions people have whenever we read the scriptures. And, and there's this common theme throughout this sermon series that we kept going back to, and, and it's how Jesus Christ, he himself is the word of God. And so whenever God wanted to show us how much he loved us, whenever God wanted to show us who he truly is, he didn't write a book, although God very easily could have. God didn't send down a book from heaven. Instead, God the Son came down, took on flesh, and and showed us who God truly is. How God is full of grace and truth, as we read in John chapter 1. How God is rich in mercy and abounding in steadfast love. So God is love. Love comes from God and And God's love was revealed most perfectly in the person of Jesus. And whenever we read the scriptures and and whenever we read about God's love throughout the scriptures, there's this common theme we see that keeps coming up. And this, this is it right here. God loves us with an unconditional love. The love that God has for us is unconditional. And I know that this idea of unconditional can be a little foreign to us at times. Uh, there's not a lot of places today in the world, there's not a lot of places out there where, where you'll find unconditional terms. I'll, I'll give you a personal example. Many of you all know uh, I'm a student at Oklahoma City University. I'm in my senior year there. I'm a religion major, uh, making it through midterms right now. Uh, I know all the college students here know what that's like. Um, so that's, that's kind of what's going on right now. But, but uh, at, at OCU, I'm on a tuition scholarship, and I'm very thankful to be on that scholarship. I, I couldn't be at OCU, meaning I couldn't be here also without that scholarship. So I'm very thankful for it. But if I want to stay on that scholarship... Well, I have to meet certain requirements. I have to meet certain conditions. First, I need to keep my GPA above a certain level. And if my GPA ever drops beneath that level, well, then I would be put on probation, and I would be in danger of losing my scholarship. That wouldn't be fun, right? I wouldn't want that to happen. So that's one of the requirements for my scholarship. Another one is I need to attend chapel every single Thursday. And whenever I can, I need to help hand out bulletins or greet or read scripture or prayers during the chapel services. And, and the third requirement is this. I have to write a thank you letter to whatever church I'm at. And uh, so to, to meet this requirement a couple weeks ago, I wrote a, a letter to the campus pastor of one church. That's myself. <laughs> hey, I'm just doing what the requirement is, you know. But I, I share that to say, that's what we're used to. You know, that's what we're used to in this world. We're, we're used to having to meet certain requirements or, or certain conditions in order to be awarded something, in order to be given something. But what's so beautiful, what's so amazing is that the greatest treasure in the universe, the love of God, the eternal love of God, the love that was seen so perfectly in the person of Jesus, the love that changes everything, that love is unconditional That love is unconditional. We don't have to do anything or be anything to be loved by God. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to prove ourselves worthy. God's love is unconditional. We don't have to be anything or do anything to be loved by God. And and I hope that this morning we could just rest in that. 
we could just rest in the unconditional love that God has for us. God's love is unconditional. Whether we love God back or not, God loves us. Whether we feel loved or not, God loves us. Uh, what we read earlier in 1 John was this, not that we loved God, but that God loved us. God loved us even whenever we didn't love him back. Paul in the book of Romans, he says it a little bit differently. I love the rhetoric here. Paul says in Romans 5, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we were the most unlovable, God who is love showed us the greatest love that this world has ever seen. All right, so those are two key ideas from our passage this morning, that, that God is love and love comes from God, and number two, that God's love has been revealed, most perfectly in the person of Jesus. Now, the next two ideas we're going to look at from this passage deal more with who we are as human beings. The third idea is this, we are loved. We are loved. This is something that we read over and over and over again in 1 John chapter 4. This is something we see all throughout Scripture, that we are loved by God. Just in the letter of 1 John alone, we read about God's love being lavished upon us or, or poured out upon us, thus making us children of God. And, and then later in 1 John, we read about God's love being perfect, God's love being flawless, and, and God's perfect love casting out all of our fear, casting out all of our worry and anxiety. That's the kind of love that God loves us with. In 1 John, God's love is described as an overflowing, great, more than enough, perfect, fear-eliminating love. God loves us with that kind of love. And that's just what 1 John says. There are so many other books in the Bible that describe God's love in different ways. And, and so just as God is perfect love, God is perfect love, we as the people of God are perfectly loved by God. God loves you and me with that, a perfect love, a love that is personal, a love that is intimate. Again, in that same book, Tozer writes this, The love of God is one of the great realities of the universe, a pillar upon which the hope of the world rests. But it is a personal, intimate thing too. God does not love populations. He loves people. He loves not masses, but persons. God's love for us is perfect. God's love for us is intimate and personal. And in Luke chapter 15, God is described as the shepherd who left the 99 sheep behind in safety in order to find that one sheep that had gotten lost. And wherever that one sheep is found, there's rejoicing. There's partying. There's exultation. Because God delights in us. God calls us his very own treasure. Both in the book of Psalms and in the book of Isaiah, we read about God delighting delighting in his people. And, and then in the often forgotten book of Zephaniah, uh, you don't hear a lot of sermons preached out of Zephaniah, we read this. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exult over you with loud singing, with gladness, with loud singing. God rejoices over us. God exults in us. God views every person as beloved. God views every person as treasured. God views every person as important. And, and as I was thinking and reflecting on that this week, I, I began to wonder something. What if we did the same? 
What if we viewed every single person we encounter the way God views them? How different would this world look? How different would Edmond, Oklahoma look if every single Christian valued not possessions, but people? We valued each person the way God values each person. Friends, know that you are loved, number three. And the fourth idea I want to bring from this text is this. We are created in God's image. We are created in God's image. In the image of God who is love itself, we were created. And, and we don't read that specifically in 1 John chapter 4 in the verses that we read earlier. Uh, but this is what we read on the first page of the Bible in, in Genesis chapter 1, the first chapter. In Genesis 1, we read this. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the animals of the earth. I love this. And over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Isn't that beautiful? It's heartwarming, you know, and that's something we hear a lot at church, that, that we're created in God's image. And we'll hear, we, we hear a lot of people quote that, that we're created in God's image, but... But what does that mean? <laughs> what does it mean to be created in God's image? And, and so over the years, people have tried to uh, make sense of that. They've tried to understand what it means to have been created in God's image. And, and John Wesley, he was one of those that tried to understand what that meant, what it meant to be created in God's image. And, and so for Wesley, there were different dimensions of what God's image was like. But, but Wesley spent the most time talking about the moral image of God. This is how Randy Maddox describes the moral image of God. The character of holiness and love that God intended for humanity. The character, and holy, the character of holiness and love that God intended for humanity. So God created us. God created us and intended for us to be holy and loving and kind and compassionate and generous. Just as God is all those things, right? God is holy and kind and compassionate and generous. And, and we were created in that image. And, and so if you were to grab your Bibles right now and open up to page number one, you would read that. That we were created in God's image. But, but can anyone remember what happens on the next page? Just two chapters later. Well, it's not the best. Adam and Eve choose their own way instead of God's perfect way. And, and well, the result wasn't very good, right? And, and now there was sin and brokenness and all those bad things now in the world. But, but perhaps the, the worst part of that is, is the moral image of God, according to Wesley, was corrupted, was damaged through sin or, or through us choosing our own way and not God's way. And so what's so essential to John Wesley's understanding of salvation is that salvation is the renewal of our souls, in the image of God, right? That salvation, the work of God is God restoring us and renewing us back into his moral image each and every single day. That image of love, that image of grace, that image of holiness and compassion and generosity. That's part of what it means to have been created in God's image. And, and through the work of the Holy Spirit that's living and breathing and roaring within all of us as Christians, we are being transformed more and more back into God's image each and every single day. All right, so what does that have to do with 1 John chapter 4 and, and the passage that we read earlier? Well, I think there's a lot of things that has to do with 1 John 4. Here are two. One, we were created to love and be generous. Uh, in the introduction to A Generous Life, the 28-day devotional that we were reading together as a church uh, for the month of October, we read this. You were born in the image of a loving and generous God. And so whenever we love, Whenever we give, whenever we extend kindness to those around us, we are right at home. 
We are doing what we were created to do. We were born to be generous, hence the title of the sermon. Uh, Brandon and I were tempted to name the sermon, Born to be Wild, and then in parentheses, Lee Generous. But it, it didn't make it past the cutting floor there. But, but that would have been pretty funny, I think. But, but we were born to be generous. We were born to be loving. We were born to fully rejoice and be happy in our God. And so whenever we do those things, whenever we love, whenever we are generous, we are showing the world who we belong to. We are showing the world that we were truly created in God's image, and God's image is being restored and renewed in us every single day. Friends, we as the people of God, we are to be people who love. We are to be people who love. My favorite verse in all of the Bible was in our passage today. It was the last verse that we read together, 1 John 4, 19. It's a very easy verse to memorize. We love because he first loved us. We love because God first loved us. We were created in the image of God who is love. Friends, we were created to love and be generous. Number two, we reflect who God is when we love. This is what we read in 1 John 4, 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. All right, so I'm going to ask a quick survey question really quickly. Uh, By a show of hands, how many of us have seen God physically before? Okay, if you have, please talk to me after because I really want to hear what, what God looked like. But, but these words are still true today if, if we're taking them at face value, that, that no one has, has physically seen God before. That's what John said in that verse. And you know, I've, I've never seen God before physically, but I can tell you what I have seen before. I have seen countless Christians in my life loving doing selfless, generous things. I've seen countless Christians not only be generous with their finances, but also with their time and with their wisdom and and pouring into other people. And, And I know with all of my heart that God lives in those people that God reigns in those people. And, and whenever they love, whenever they're generous, God's love is so clearly evident in their lives. See, our generosity testifies to God's generosity in a skeptical world. There's a lot of doubt today about God and about who God is, but whenever we're generous, whenever we're loving, that testifies to God's generosity. Whenever we love, we reflect more and more and more of who God is, what God's heart is like. Uh, years ago, whenever I was in high school, I, I heard this story at a meeting at my home church, the Inola United Methodist Church. And in this meeting, it wasn't particularly an exciting meeting, but our district superintendent came out to lead this meeting. And, and before we got to the business part of the meeting, he, he gave a short message. He gave a short devotional. And, and in that devotional, he shared this story. And over the years, I had remembered bits and pieces of it, and I tried to Google it and find it online, and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't find it. And so I reached out to him this summer. He's now a pastor in Enid, and he still had the story. And I was so thankful for that, and I think it just goes so well with what we're talking about today. So, so the story goes something like this. Years and years ago, there was this John Hopkins professor, and, and he took a group of graduate students, and he gave them this assignment. Go to the slums. Go to the slums and take 200 boys boys between the ages of 12 and 16, and investigate their background, investigate their environment. And, and then what you're going to do is take that information and predict their chances for the future. So the students did just that. They uh, consulted social statistics. They talked to the boys. They compiled a lot of data. And so their conclusion was that 90% of those boys, of those 200 boys, would spend at least some time in jail over the course of their lifetime. Well, 25 years after that, 
another group of graduate students was given the same job of going and testing that prediction. And they went back to the same area, and, and they found most of the boys, they were men by then, of course, and, and you know, they found out that a few of them had died, some of them had moved away, but, but they got in touch with 180 of the original 200 boys, and, and out of the 180, they found that only four had spent any time in prison. Why? Why was it that these, these men, these boys who grew up in such a, a breeding place for crime, how in the world did they live such amazing lives? Well, the researchers were continually told, well, there was this teacher. So the, the researchers, they pressed further and further, and they found that in 75% of the cases, it was the same woman. It was the same teacher. And so the researchers, they tracked down this teacher. She was living in a retired home for teachers at this point. And they were just so curious as to how she had exerted such a remarkable influence over this group of boys. And so the researchers asked her if, if she could give them any reason as to why these boys should have remembered her. No, she said. No, I, I really couldn't. And then thinking back over the years, she said musingly, more, more to herself than to her interviewers, I love those boys. When we truly love one another from the heart, whenever we love as God has loved us, I believe the world around us will change, the world around us will be transformed, and we are going to reflect God more and more and more in everything that we do. And so I hope that we would do that. I hope that we would love. I hope that we would be generous, like we were created to be, that we would recognize all that God has done for us, that we would recognize all that God has given us, and that we would respond in love. We would respond in kindness. We would respond in generosity. And so with that being said, let's, let's consider these our action steps for this week. Number one, memorize 1 John 4, 19. Uh, that's not an action step just because it's my favorite Bible verse, although it is. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's an action step because I think it really gets to the summation of, of what we talked about today, right? How we love because God first loved us. We are generous because God was first generous towards us. All right, and the second action step is this. Don't procrastinate. Practice generosity now. Because generosity is something that's so easy to keep uh, pushing down the road, right, and putting off until later. You know, after I get all my degrees, then I'll be generous. Or, or after my kids graduate college, then I'll be generous. Or, or after I get promoted and the raise that comes with it, then I'll start being generous. And we just keep pushing generous, generosity back and back and back. But, but I hope that we wouldn't get caught up in that trap. I hope that we would be faithful in the here and in the now. And I know that talking about generosity and living into that, it, it's not always easy. You know, I'm very real about that. I'm, I'm a college student. <laughs> I, uh, I'm a part-time pastor. I've got seminary to think about after graduation. Money and time are two things I don't have a lot of. But in this season of life, I'm learning to trust God more and more and more with every part of my life. You know, I'm striving to be more generous with my time, and so far I've seen God's faithfulness, and I've turned in every single paper this semester. I've studied for every single test and preached a new sermon every single Friday, so I've seen God's faithfulness there, and, and I'm striving to be generous with my finances as well, and, and in that, again, I, I'm trusting God, trusting God, and, and seeing God's faithfulness at work. And something that I found to be really uh, significant throughout all this is that the words of the Lord's Prayer are meaning more and more to me every single day. Whenever I pray those words, give us this day our daily bread, 
those words have a whole new meaning for me. And so whenever we pray those words, whenever we truly live into them, there's no need to worry. There's no need to fear because we are created in the image of a loving and generous God, a God who is always, always faithful. All right, so to make this sermon go full circle, let's go back to the question we started off asking at the very beginning. What is Christianity all about? I want to encourage you to be thinking about your answer to that question, but, but here's my answer to that question. Here's how I would uh, respond to that question. Christianity is centered around a good God, a God who is love, a God from whom love comes from. And God's love isn't some speculation. God's love isn't some theory or hypothesis. Rather, God's love is a reality. God's love has been revealed most perfectly in the person of Jesus. And as human beings, we are so loved by God. We are all radically loved by God. And, and even more, we are created in God's very own image. And so we respond to that good news. We respond to the great love of God by loving others and by being generous with our lives. That's what I think Christianity is all about. Or, in other words, we love because he first loved us. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for being who you are. Thank you for the words of love that you speak to us. Thank you for the songs of love that you sing over us, O oh God. Thank you for calling us your children. Thank you for being love, God, and, and love coming from you. And so, Lord, each day, may we fall more and more in love with you. Lord God, you are good. To you be the glory. We thank you for Jesus and how your love was most perfectly revealed in him, in his life, his death, his resurrection and ascension. And we know that Jesus still lives today to intercede for all of us. And we thank you, Lord, for Jesus teaching us how to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.